Welcome to Pentecostal Sermons brought to you by Power of the Cross Radio. We are honored that you could join us. You are about to hear a sermon from Brother Larson of Sun Life Broadcasting Ministry. These recordings are from a three-day revival held at the Lighthouse Church in Grenada, Mississippi in 2021. We know you are going to be blessed. Now, on to the message. This morning, um, I want to follow up on some of the things we talked about last night. And I know that perhaps some of you, and uh, I do not apologize for bringing us into the responsibilities that are ours for as the new covenant, uh, God is still called his people to holiness and righteousness. And I think that what he has done in the last 25, 30 years is that he has brought about events that forced us to look at what we believed and if what we believed was hurting us and stopping us from attaining to where he wanted us to be, then it was time for a change. I, uh, on the programs this week in the message of the cross, I publicly thank Brother Swigert for uh, his role in all of this. You and I have been able to be changed behind the curtain. By that I mean God doesn't let us take a look at, let anybody else look at what he's taken us through, at least for the most part. And I'm thankful for that. Can I get an amen? Uh, If we could all see what we were really like, we would probably all quit. Uh, But every now and then, God pulls back the curtain on someone's life, and that person has to be strong enough to take the criticism. And in view of failure, in light of failure, that person has to be strong enough to get back up and try again. And that's what I thank Brother Swigert for, because his journey, in part, similar to mine, um, we found the message of the cross because what we had been taught wasn't working and failure was occurring. Okay, let me talk over here. You can't live for God a dozen different ways. There's only one means by which God has provided for us, and really, in a nutshell, that means is His Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because we were bound by sin and the penalty of sin and the power of sin. Sin outside of us and sin within us. And there's not a dozen ways to be freed from that power. There's only one. God made it distinctive. The whole world has its own means and ways of trying to overcome the problems that it faces, and it just creates more problems. It doesn't create the solution. The the scriptures, and I'm old school here, the scriptures are our source and my sole source for finding out what it is that God has done and what he expects us to do. And today, I want to take a look at what I call the three, three major laws of the new covenant. Now, don't get nervous because I preached last night you weren't under law, and that is correct. By that I mean you're not under obedience or the authority uh, of the Mosaic law. To be honest with you, you're not under uh, the law, so to speak, as a means of righteousness, but yet there are laws that are constants, like the law of gravity. You drop something, guess what? It's not going up in the air, it's going down to the ground. That is a law. It is a constant. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah? Yes? No? Means I don't care? All right. Very good. So there are constants, uh, and I want to introduce you to three that we find in the Scriptures. First of all, we have the law of faith. Then we have the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, we have what I refer to and what Paul called the law of Christ. The first two you should be fairly well acquainted with if you have been teaching or preaching or connected to people that are, in fact, preaching and teaching the message of the cross. Uh, a study on the law of faith, and I we won't do a complete one because it would take our whole first session to do so, can be found in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 31. And incidentally, if you're a pastor or a teacher um, and you want these slides, just give me an email and I will send them to you uh, so you can use them in your own teaching if you'd like. But the law of faith 
is focused primarily on Romans 3, 24, and 25. It's in the book of Romans, Paul outlines the whole process of salvation from all men are guilty before God. And he runs that from Romans chapter 1, verse 18, all the way up to chapter 3 and verse 20. But in chapter 3 and verse 21, he switches over and transitions to the subject of justification. Justification is that wonderful element of God's redemption plan that allows us to have a relationship with God even though we're imperfect. Because God, when we place our faith in who Christ is and and in God's redemption plan, God legally declares us. He's the judge. He can do this. Legally declares us innocent of all charges. Based on God's declaration, we become a candidate and the recipient of the person of the Holy Spirit who now comes inside and lives with us, lives in us, and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is not the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is salvation. This is the moment in time when you are saved. So at the moment in time that you accept Christ as your Savior, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and He's there to change you. But if If justification were not a fact, he could not stay in you because of you and me. And we just have to be honest with ourselves while we are saved and declared righteous. That's our position. Our condition needs some work. If you don't believe me, then I'll ask somebody who really knows you and they'll tell me about you. So what we have is this beautiful, wonderful entrance into the kingdom through the process of justification. And justification is not lost when you fail. Because if it was, then you would lose the status of justification every time you had a wrong thought, every time you got angry at the guy that cut you off on the freeway on the way to church. Um, (laughs) So we have our, our justification is based on the law of faith, as Paul introduces it in this section. And I'll just deal with these verses. He said this, chapter 3, 24, being justified how? Freely. You don't do anything, because you can't. Being justified freely by grace. So now we see that God is going to move and work with us through the means of faith and grace. You exhibit faith in God's redemption plan, and He releases grace to you. You want to know how to receive what you need from God? You believe, and He responds. You believe, He responds. You trust in Him, He responds. You have a need, you trust in Him, He responds. Not always in the way that we would like Him to, but then if we were God, we would do it perfectly too. Sometimes He forces us into that dirty little four-letter word, wait. Mm -hmm. Okay, I wasn't good. But justified freely, watch, through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And I say it clearly, there is no other name given unto heaven whereby men must be saved. You can't come to any other source of salvation because there is no other source of salvation but God's Son, Jesus Christ. So justification involves the understanding of who we're to place our faith in. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. A propitiation is a covering. And in the Old Testament typology, a covering referred here, many people believe, to the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant, under the Old Covenant. It was a piece of furniture in the temple that resided in the holy place. Not the holy place, the most holy place. A place where God dwelt. It was a box that had a lid on it, and the lid itself was solid gold with two cherubim who faced each other, and God dwelt between the cherubim above the mercy seat, above the covering. 
That's where God dwelt in the most holy place in the old covenant is above the mercy seat. Once a year, the high priest would come into the most holy place and apply blood on the mercy seat for himself. Then he would go out, offer another sacrifice, and come back and apply blood on the mercy seat for the people. And that established God's relationship or status of justification for a whole year for the nation of Israel. As long as they carried out year by year that expression of God's redemption plan, which was a type and a shadow of what Christ would do, then they were justified. Remember when Balaam tried to curse them? And he stood over them and said, I can't curse what God has blessed. And God spoke and said, I don't see any iniquity in Jacob, and I don't see any perverseness in Israel. Now, if you read the text carefully, you'll find they were grumbling, they were mumbling, they were complainers, they were gripers. What in the world does God mean when he said, I looked down and I didn't see grumblers and mumblers and complainers. I, I don't see any iniquity in Jacob. I don't see any perverseness in Israel. How could God say that? Because of the blood on the mercy seat. They were justified. But that status of justification had to be reestablished here after year, after year, after year, after year, the high priest had to come back. And when he died, there was another high priest that had to come back year after year after year. And that blood was their propitiation. But now, our high priest has offered up his blood as a propitiation, as a covering, and God no longer sees us as grumblers and mumblers and complainers and wrong thinkers and people who act wrong. He looks at us through the blood. And when he looks at his church, he says, I don't see any iniquity in my church. I don't see any perverseness in my church. Even though in our hearts there's some things that Help me now. So justification is established as the means of relationship, and it's maintained through the law of faith, which is faith in Christ, who He is, and what He has done, because the propitiation is faith in His blood. Where was His blood shed? At the cross, on Calvary. So justification then is defined by the Apostle Paul as redemption and faith that is in Christ Jesus who died for our sins and became our our covering. And so when we look at uh, the, the text itself and we follow it through verses 21 down through the end of the section, and again, I could stay here all day, but I can't stay here all day. What we find is that we are, con we are uh, verse 28, we are conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. The faith has to be in Christ. Come on now. It has to be in Christ. And it has to be in what he did. He saved me by dying on the cross. You don't have to know a whole lot. You just have to know that. And you are instantly justified. I'm a sinner. He's a Savior. I furnish the sinner. He furnishes the Savior. Amen. So is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith. But look up in verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. It's eliminated. By what law? The law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. So the law of faith is faith in Christ and what he did for me. We could say it, faith in Christ and the cross. We could say it, faith in Christ crucified. This is what establishes my relationship with Jesus. It's a law. And the law of faith is faith in Christ and what he did for me. 
Now, please understand this and grow up a little. If I say Jesus is my Savior, and I don't say the term cross, and you have a fit, then your faith is in the term and not in what he did. Because when you talk to Brother Larson, I guarantee you, when I say faith in Jesus, I do not exclude the cross in my spirit. And when I say cross, I do not exclude the Savior. To me, faith in Christ is the same as saying faith in Christ crucified, etc., faith in the cross. Now, we have to define it because the church has been magnificent in, in, in not including the cross in the process. But please, my faith is not in the expression. My faith is in the person. And it's the person who loved me and died for me on Calvary that allows me to be justified by faith. That's the law of faith. And it's a constant. I wake up every morning confident of my relationship with Christ, not because of what I'm doing or how far I've progressed, or even in the negative if I have regressed, had a bad day. I haven't lost my justification because my faith is tied to the person and the work that he did to save me. Do I condone failure in saying that? Absolutely not. My hope is in nothing less but Jesus' blood and his righteousness, the law of faith. So we have to be secure in the law of faith. Any questions about the law of faith? Okay. Uh, then if that's secure and we have that, then let's go on to what we need to know. Again, the law of faith establishes the need to place one's faith in Christ, establishes the need to understand what Christ did for us at Calvary, and establishes what needs to be a constant. This means that the object of my faith is always Christ and His work. That's it. It's not hard. And then I, that which I need is freely given. So, once we establish this, then we can go on to the second great law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the passage to study here uh, would be Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. I don't have time to go through that again. It would take all of our time. Romans 8, 1 through 4 is verse 2. Uh, that's the premier. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So if I am justified, which I am, amen, by the law of faith, then what is the purpose of the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? What does this law incorporate into my Christian experience? It what? All right, okay. And what does the Holy Spirit do when He releases His power? Makes us more like Christ. So the law of the Spirit of life has not to do with justification, but has to do with progressive growth, sanctification. Now, this can be confusing, so let me say it simply. Uh, John Wesley, uh, back in the 1700s, 1800s, said that there was an event that could happen, a second subsequent work is what he called it, uh, that produced instant sanctification. Now, Wesley never taught that that was an event that never caused you to need progressive sanctification. But the next generation of Wesleyans did. And they impacted the whole body of Christ with the teaching of instant sanctification. That there was a point in time after salvation, a second subsequent work, where you could have an encounter with God and you would be instantly sanctified. Poof, it's all done. Woohoo! In fact, there have been debates in the uh, world of Christendom, one that Brother Swigert talks about, uh, one man decided to, that believed in instant sanctification was debating uh, 
Dake, the man that wrote the Dake's Bible, and Dake so tied him up theologically that he lost his temper. <laughs> it kind of showed him that, you know, instant sanctification is not a... But there is a sense, I'll get off of this, instant sanctification is a reality if you understand it. Instant sanctification takes place at justification. And what it means is that you are set apart for God. So the moment that you say yes to Jesus, you are sanctified in the set that you are, if you will, like a trophy set aside for God. There's a trophy of God's grace. That's you. You're sanctified in that sense. But the progressive sanctification that we have to encounter is the, is the growth of our beings, our, our conduct, our condition towards the image of Christ. And you and I cannot change ourselves. A leopard can't change his spots, the Ethiopian can't change his color, and man can't change his heart and can't even on his own probably change his mind. We need to be influenced. And that influence has to have power in back of it to replace new and remove what is old. So when I got saved, it was the law of the Spirit of life that began to work in me instantly that released me from the power of cocaine and the power of alcohol. And it wasn't instant in those capacities. It was progressive. It was those first three months. You mean you were saved and still smoking pot? Yep. You're saved and you're still gossiping. Just trying to even the, even the board here. Well, yeah, but I wasn't, uh-uh. Doesn't work. Those things that are contrary to God's will and word need to be eliminated, no matter if they're uh, smoking pot or too much pecan pie. <laughs> Preacher's getting it, kicking everybody out that is smoking cigarettes, and his belly is out to here because he, and he's going to have a heart attack soon because he's not to, okay. But the process of correction is an ongoing, never-ending thing in us that's required. It can happen because our faith is in Christ and what He's done. We're justified so we don't lose the right of the Holy Spirit to live in us. But it's our constant faith in Him that moves us from justification and sanctification through the processes of being conformed into the image of Christ. So the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death, talks about, brings us into a law that tells us if we maintain our faith in the right object, the law of faith, that in the progressive growth of the believer, the Holy Spirit will constantly be changing constantly be removing. Now, I love this. you got to get it. We've been talking about freedom from sin and the law of the Spirit of life, and that's true. But it doesn't stop with freedom from sin, and it's not just about the victorious Christian life. It's about living. See, I'm, I'm dead to sin, but I'm a, alive to God. And if I'm alive to God, then my nature and my character should now be more and more and each day more conformed into the image of Christ. Thank you for joining us today. If you are enjoying the sermon you are hearing, we need your help. We do not sell any advertising on this station. You will not hear any third-party ads. This radio ministry operates by donations only. We are 100% listener supported. So, we need your prayers and financial gifts to keep bringing Christ and Him crucified to the world. Let God use you to keep Power of the Cross Radio going around the globe. Go right now to www.cross.radio and click on how you can help. There you can donate a generous amount by secure means. All gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. 
Now, back to the message. So there is, listen, there is a moral ethic. There's a right way to live. And I, the, the Romans 8 and 2 uh, tells me that the right way to live is through faith in who Christ has done. So the law of faith establishes, once again, the law of, 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 of the right object of faith. But with the right object of faith, then the Holy Spirit becomes the power source for life and living. He changes me every day. He changes me constantly. He's available to supply me power, uh, and He only requires faith in Christ and what He has done. Listen, there's nothing in your life, nothing, that can't be changed. Let's just stop there. There's nothing in your life that can't be changed. If we embrace the law of faith the right object of faith, and the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Oh, but, 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 uh-uh, nothing. 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 I don't care how long you've been struggling with something. And we were talking with several of you last night that said, I'm still struggling. Welcome to the human race. And if you think that there's not anything still clinging to you from the fall, well, again, I can. I always threaten my college students. I say, I've got a device that will uh, record and put on the screen every thought that's run through your mind in the last 24 hours. Who's first? <laughs> and everybody, oh, and they're right. They should go, oh, because if we could put every thought on even the godliest, you know, uh, it'd be interesting to see what we saw. Well, God sees that. I'm just trying to say we're in a constant need to be changed. So the message of the cross, the message of Christ crucified, is not just about the removal of sin, victory over sin. It's about the addition of holiness and righteousness and what is morally, ethically correct. The right way to think, the right way to feel, the right way to act. See, it's not just the removal of the drugs for me and the removal of the alcohol and the removal of the poor language and the, of the horrifying language. It's the addition of the right language. It's the addition of the right way to treat people. It's the, you see it? So the, when we talk about the law of the spirit of life, we're talking about the power source that enables us to become what God wants us. So these first two laws, so by embracing the law of faith, we encounter justification and learn the proper object of faith. Through the proper object of faith, we encounter the power for life and living the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And this power overwhelms sin and enables us to see the fruit of the Spirit developed in our lives. So we don't, and this is what I was saying to you, trying to say last night, and I know it wasn't exactly a swinging from the chandelier message wasn't supposed to be. It was to challenge us to say, we need to go forward. We don't go back. We go forward with the knowledge of what we have into this newness of life, this new source of life and a new life that is noticeable amongst the people in which we live. And that's where we go to the third law, the law of Christ. Now, this law is found in two separate locations, and we'll talk about the first one here in our first session, and we'll talk about the second one in our second session. But from the text that we studied last night, Galatians 6 and 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There it is. Very plain in the English, even plainer in the Greek. And I know that most of you here can't read Greek, but ha namos tu Christu simply is the law of Christ. Very plain. You can't argue with this in the Greek or in the English in this passage the way that the King James translates it. So, bear, so there is a law 
of Christ. What is it? It is, and this text points that out. But let me say this. The term fulfill is not an easy term to grasp. Fulfill means that there was a form, and then it was filled. I worked for many, many years in in construction, and so I was working to pour concrete. And this always comes back to my mind when I think fulfill, because the first thing that we did was we graded, of course, the land, and then we built forms around the land where the concrete was going to go, usually just two-by-fours or whatever wood would be holding in the concrete. Well, the form had to be there in order for the concrete to be poured into the form. But I'm not wanting the form as the finished product. I want to fill up the form with the intention of what the, why the form was there. So when we see Christ talking about fulfilling the law, he's saying that the Mosaic law is literally the form. But when he came, he poured himself into the form and filled it up to its highest potential. Now when you do this in the natural, and again, a natural illustration always breaks down, after a few days you come back and guess what you do? You tear out the form. You get rid of the form because you weren't looking for the form. The form just maintained the reality of what it was you wanted to build. And it's interesting that concrete never fully cures. It's always getting stronger and stronger. Oh, I wish somebody would get this. So for you and I, we have entered into, when we talk about fulfilling something, we're talking about not just the form or the definition, but we're talking about bringing that reality to its highest potential and strengthening forever, more and more each day, what it was intended to bring into our life, not the form, but the reality. And so what he says, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill, bring to the highest potential, not the form, but the reality of the law of Christ. Well, again, context is always king, and I don't mean to bore you, but uh, if we go back just a verse, we're going to see Galatians 6 and 1 that we are talking about restoring a fallen believer. And that believer has fallen, and I'm going to have to do this quick, but because he does not know the message of the cross. Galatians 5, 16 through the end of the chapter defines that if we walk after the flesh, we're going to be dominated by the works of the flesh. If we walk after the Spirit, then we'll be dominated by the works of the Spirit, against which there is no law. So I want to be dominated by the Spirit. How do I do that? I walk in the law of faith, and I walk by the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. But there's some people in the body of Christ that don't know that. And the end result of not knowing that is going to be failure. Because you can't change yourself. And so you get into, if you're a true believer, you get into that cycle of failing and coming back up and failing and coming back up and failing and coming back up. And sooner or later, the curtain gets pulled down and you get exposed. So Paul is talking to believers that understand the message of cross, what to do with people who don't understand the message of the cross. But let me take it a little bit further. It may also be because just knowing the message of the cross and pursuing it with all of your heart doesn't guarantee that you won't stub your toe as you walk. In fact, I guarantee you, you will. Oh, we don't like that. We want that. We want that. We just let me say the term and then it's all right. Sometimes the hardest lessons are the most effective. And if you're a Christian, you hate failure. You, you hate it. And when you fail, you feel that, that big. 
So Paul isn't just saying restore people that don't know the message of the cross. He's always talking, he's also talking about restoring people who do know the message of the cross. Because there's only one way to salvation, there's only one way to justification, there's no one way to sanctification. We got to help each other get through this process. We need a little help. The world wants to kill us already. It's sad when the church kills its own. So Paul says, brethren, you that are spiritual, you that know how to walk in the truth, restore one who's been overtaken in a moral failure, a moral fault, lest thou be tempted, considering yourself, bear ye one another's burdens. What does that mean? Well, bear there means that we lift, uh, burdens there means a, a load that is a crushing weight. Failure can sometimes put a weight that's so heavy the believer that's failed can't lift it. And it's typified by the cross of Christ, the, his own cross, when he was weakened after being beaten and nigh killed as far as the scourging that he went through on the way to Calvary, he was so weak that he could not bear the cross. And the cross was not the full cross that we see. It was just the cross beam. So even the weight of the cross beam, some 50, 100 pounds, he couldn't carry it. So somebody else had to come up alongside and lift up the beam put it on his own shoulders. Now note that when they got to the final place, Simon, and that was his name, did not get on the cross for Christ. He gave it back. You can't take the complete weight of the burden off the individual. They have to bear it themselves. But every now and then, you could come alongside someone who's failed and lift that burden up by being kind, by being acknowledging that you too have struggled and let's not quit. Let's, we, I, I know you're headed towards a crucifixion, but I can't die for you, but I can walk with you. Are, are you so so bear ye one another's burdens and so bring listen bring to the highest intent the highest potential not just the possibilities but the fullness of what could be bring it to its high bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill this law of Christ so there is a truth where the law of Christ deals with, as the brother said, love of God. Last night we preached this message, for all the law is fulfilled. What? We have the form, something is poured into the form and brought to its highest potential. The law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So if you understand the law of faith, this is what we said last night, then you're experiencing the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, then one aspect of the law of Christ is loving other people the way that God loves people. Now when I say that, I, I have to sit down and go, oh, because I'm not there. This passage should, like it did last night, and was meant to kick us between the back pockets. Now, I, I don't like ending a service that way, but this is still our responsibility. So if I truly have the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus moving through me, not only is He taking out, you name it, He's placing in and empowering me, in this case, to love. We find other exhortations in Scripture. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In John 13, 34, a new commandment, a new one, a new commandment. So that means it's in the new covenant. A new commandment I give unto you, but I'm not under law. No, but you are under 
you are under Christ's law. Fulfill. Bring Christ's law to the highest potential. So this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Okay, let's talk about that then. How does Christ express His love towards you? He took all my sin. He took it all, didn't He? He took it all. And then, after taking it all, when we turned right around and were unfaithful, how did He treat us? He came right back. Again. And again. And again. And again. And again. And again. And when we treated Him wrong and pushed Him away and grieved His Spirit and quenched His Spirit, what did He do? Did He just leave us forever? Or did He come back? Again, I probably have more agains than you do. But this much I know, we all have a lot of agains. And Christ's law, part of it, this new commandment that's a piece of, just a piece now, of the new covenant says you love people the way that I love you. Now, is there anyone in your life that you're having a struggle loving? Don't answer. The laughter means, oh Jesus. Christ's law. The law that you now live under, the new covenant law that we're having to apply to our lives doesn't just say that we are to how, how do you what do you think it would be like if the world walked into our churches and they saw this not fakey phony syrupy love fakey stuff you know what i'm saying you know but the reality of they sensed love amongst the people of god i think they would say gee i would like to be a part of this when they come in and they see division and hatred and we talk about each other like the unwanted stepchild and we criticize and ridicule and point to, why would they want to be a part of the system, of that, that system? They already have that. So the law of faith... <laughs> justifies me, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, then brings me into the capability of the power source of the Holy Spirit to create in me love like Jesus loves. Hmm. Okay. But it's a byproduct. It's not, it's not, it's not something that you can really... You can notice that you're not there but you can't make it happen. Let's just confirm this before we... Again, I'm going to close the first session on a sad point, kind of, but not really. Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled, completed not the form, but the reality of the Mosaic Law. All the rules that God gave them was so that they would love Him and love each other. Love works no ill to his neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And Jesus didn't come to make the law obsolete. He came to fulfill it, to take the form that said, don't kill anybody and fill it up with love people. Because the form of don't kill anybody was God's emergency break to people that wanted to kill each other. Okay, don't look at me like you don't have people in your life. You wish God would open up the earth and swallow them up. But he's saying that's not how I feel about them. 
And I want my people to be not only freed from the sin of wanting them to die, but having placed within them the same love that Christ has for them. How about this one? And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. That's Christianity. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Toward all men. You mean, <laughs> I have to love Democrats too? <laughs> and Republicans too? And independence, you mean? I got to love people that are in a different denomination and people that are in a different group of Christians that don't believe in the message of the cross. You mean? One another. Do you? Okay. The old covenant community was gathered together in a land mass, this block that I'm making with my hands. It's a, it's a land mass. And God just placed all the believers in there. And then he gave them the Torah and said, this is how you treat each other. And the Torah, the law, was simply a form. His first initial revelation of what he was like and what he wanted us to be like. But in this form of the old Mosaic law, there was no power to cause them to love. So all they had was willpower. And it failed miserably. But the new covenant people also have a location, but it's not a landmass. You and I are saved and immediately baptized into Christ. We, our location is in Christ. That means everyone that's in Christ is a member of the new covenant community. It doesn't matter if they're black or white, yellow, red, upside down, smart, rich, poor, ignorant, belligerent, hard to get along with. If, they are, if they're trusting Christ, they're in the new covenant community. They're in Christ. And God's commandment is that we love each other. And there's some people I know that I'm just struggling with that. But he doesn't even let me quit with that. Well, they worship different than I do. I have been all over the Christian body of Christ this year. I have been with people that... Everything from the people that worship like we do to the places where they put the, the lights down and the fog machines and they wear the ripped jeans. And I told them I wasn't wearing any ripped jeans. I wasn't paying 95 bucks for jeans with holes. And they just laughed at me. And I've been, I've been in the country churches where the praise and worship was led by a 92-year-old man by the name of Trotter who played a mandolin and with a stand-up bass and a couple rhythm guitars. And you know what I found in every case? The presence of God. Because styles is not what makes us a part of the new covenant community. It's faith. I'm looking at you white people in here. You need to get to some Church of God churches, every Church of God and Christ churches, and have a real service. Get a little, get a little pop in your step. Different colors, different ways. What if we went down to Africa and the guys didn't wear suits and the women didn't even wear clothes? What are you going to do? <laughs> Keep your eyes up is one thing. <laughs> but, guess what? I'm just, I'm trying to, in Christ is where the new covenant community is. And you have no right to demean those who Christ has died for because they don't walk like you, dress like you, worship like you, talk like you. Maybe you should 
Pray for them. I, I believe there's a right way to worship. I like what we do. I love what, what the group has been doing all weekend. It's made the services for me. But if I go somewhere and they don't do it like that, do I have enough God in me to find that this is, and not allow prejudice, okay, I'm, I'm getting off track. Am, am, I, am I strong enough in the faith to love people that in the body that are not like me? And then, he doesn't even keep it there. He says, not just love one another, but toward all men. Not Nancy Pelosi, please. Not all women. Not Donald Trump, please. No, no. All <laughs> to the end, watch, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. Because the moving of God that produces the law of the Spirit of life that provides us with the power to love also produces as He works in us the same byproduct of holiness. So love is not the only byproduct of the law of Christ. Love is not the only expression of the law of Christ, but it might just be the highest expression, but we can't stop at the law of love or the desire. We have to move on and see that the law of Christ also includes other behavior. <gasps> but you can't take that right now, so we'll take a break. This brings us to the end of this message, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. Be sure to come back often for more great sermons and commercial-free Christian music streamed 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If you need someone to pray with you, we have a prayer wall at Power of the Cross Radio website. You can leave your request there and also help others pray for their needs. Remember, it's very crucial that we receive your financial gifts to keep this free radio station going. Please give a generous amount to support this work of God, and we know you will be abundantly blessed for it. Thank you again for joining us today, and may God bless you.